Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is Dr. Lawrence Simon. The show is the stories we live by. And I thought this morning I would talk a little bit about some of the kinds of characters we play in our life story. And to begin, let me start with something that my wife uh, asked me after listening to my first show. She said, isn't there a difference between a character in a novel or a play that's been made up and a human being? And of course, the answer to that on a simple level is yes. Um, What comes to mind, let's say, is the character Harry Potter in this incredibly successful series of books that uh, started out as children's stories and seems to have uh, caught on with a great many adults. Uh, No one expects, I hope no one expects, to visit England and uh, walk through some magical portal in a train station and find the school filled with wizards and wizards in training and say hello to Harry Potter. However, uh, it's not that simple. For many people, Harry Potter, as a character drawn by the author, is very real and very alive to them. And that's what's very remarkable about so many of the people in our lives who are or feel alive as characters. They don't have to be real. Uh, For some of us, for many of us, the most alive characters are characters from movies, or are movie stars that we've never met and only know through the roles they play. Um, There are many people who wish they were like the movie stars and who spend their life searching for, hunting for, following celebrity. Uh, There are people who play villains on television or in the movies who have to hire bodyguards because there are people who will accost them and curse them and spit at them in the street because they think that they are the character. So the fact that somebody doesn't have a a, a living address, that we can't visit our favorite character, doesn't mean that they're not alive to us. Now what's so interesting is that for many people, people who are actually existing, who actually live, are not seen as very much alive. They're seen as objects. And here's something so interesting. How is it we can treat a character in a novel or a play or somebody in a movie who is playing somebody who doesn't actually exist and feel that they're more real than people actually in our own lives or our own selves. And I think that's worth discussing for a while. And by the way, if uh, anybody would like to call in, the number is 646-716-7756. And... uh, So what makes the character Harry Potter or uh, any character, Hamlet, or any character, any novel or movie or play you've seen so real? 
And I think part of the answer is that these characters are seen as human beings and not objects. We see them, whether they're real people or fictional characters, as having motivation. We see them as having thoughts. We have feelings. We see them as involved in a real world, in a setting, uh, that even could be make-believe, but the author makes us believe it actually exists. Uh, it's interesting. I've read very few books, more than once, uh, but one of my favorites, which I've now read three times, is The Lord of the Rings. There's no place called Middle-earth, but by the time you finish the prologue and the three novels that make up Middle-earth, uh, 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 The Lord of the Rings, you actually can feel and think you can see and smell uh, Middle-earth and the characters that are all fantastic characters. But if you look at the hobbits that are at the center of the character and other, uh, of the novel and other of these characters, uh, they think, they feel. They're drawn to us not as objects to be used, but as beings to be uh, identified with, beings that can be um, empathized with, beings worthy of our sympathy, of our compassion, of our pity. Even villains, if they're well-drawn in a story, are not introduced by the label villain, but become very complex characters that have their own motives, that have their own thoughts. And we can be very angry at these characters. We can hate these characters. I don't think anybody hated a bowling ball or their automobile. Although that's not true. For some people, their cars are as alive or more alive than many of the people in their lives. Uh, certainly, animals can be seen as having human characteristics or uh, the full range of emotions that makes them a living kind of a being rather than an object. And when we hear of somebody treating people or treating animals as objects, it upsets us. It enrages us. Now, how does one become an object? Well, I think there are a number of ways that one can become an object. But you're an object if, in the eyes of somebody else, you exist merely for their needs. So that the rapist, the guy in Baghdad who blows up a car bomb, doesn't see the validity of the lives that he's ruining or taking or using. It's only his or her needs that become important. And when we see the individual that we are going to use, and that's the operative word here, we use individuals, and when we use them, we objectify them. Uh, there are more subtle ways of objectifying somebody. Many people are raised in families. Uh, I don't know if anybody, I hope somebody will listen to the show last week where I discussed with Dr. Lou Wynn becoming the black sheep of the family. And in many of these cases, children grow up in families, uh, or we may be the parent that, that raises our children this way, that says to them, who are you going to believe? Me or your own eyes and your own feelings? And this becomes a battle in many families where the child has to become 
the object that the parent needs. So if the parent, the child says, I'm hungry, uh, the parent says, no, you're not. It's not yet supper time. You can't be hungry. Or instead of saying to a child that's gotten on your nerves all day, uh, go to your room, lay down, go to sleep, um, I think it's time we separated. The parent says to the child, you're tired. Uh, one of my favorite stories was told to me by a, a young, very confused individual who grew up in a family with a very heavy drinking father. And notice I'm not going to call the father an alcoholic because, again, this is a label that objectifies uh, uh, the individual. It says he drank because he was an alcoholic. And, of course, now we're going around in circles because he was an alcoholic because he drank. There is no objective evidence that anybody has characteristics, biological or otherwise, that makes them drink. People drink heavily for a series of motives. And very often when somebody destroys their life or someone else's life by heavy drinking, we are left to wonder, what could this be? How could this be? And so this young man uh, was told by his mother, your father is not drunk, he's sick. And so when his father would come home and this young man would smell the alcohol and see his father stagger, he would often say, gee, daddy is drinking again. And he was told under no uncertain terms, your father is not drunk, he is sick. He's not feeling well. And that we all have to be nice and quiet and we have to do what's right so that daddy will feel better. This is the kind of objectification being turned into an object of somebody else's needs that leads to terrible confusion, anger, rage, and often guilt and self-hatred. What kind of person am I that I would think so ill of somebody, my own father, uh, that I would say and not understand he's sick. But also tremendous confusion as to what kind of sickness this is that generates that kind of behavior. By the way, what kind of sickness is it that gets somebody to lift their elbow off the bar? No, this is chosen behavior. Well, how do we step out of these roles? How do we stop being objects if we've been objectified? Well, actually, maybe I should talk for a second about why do people want to be objects? Why do people embrace the idea of being an object, the passive victim? And it's not that we're not victims. Often we're victims, but to embrace the role of the victim. Well, it takes the responsibility for our lives and for change out of our existence. We, we don't have to say to ourselves, what is it do I think or feel? What is it about myself that I actually don't like? To say that I'm schizophrenic, to say that I'm an alcoholic, to say that I'm sick, is to say I have no choice. I have no ability to change these things. And then to complete the circle, very often the object that embraces being the victim object says, it's my mother's fault, it's my father's fault, it's the President of the United States' fault. It's everybody's fault but my own. And this makes for a lousy character in any kind of a story. Because if you read a story, it 
and it's only objects in the story. Cartoon characters. For most of us, if these characters aren't given a feeling of flesh and blood aliveness, if they don't live in a context that tests them, that punishes them, that praises them, that makes them struggle, if they don't struggle against the fates, if they don't struggle against uh, uh, the, the world in which they are born that is so often truly unfair and unjust, we turn away. We turn off those television shows. Actually, there's not much of a show. It's a very short story. So when somebody uh, comes to me, uh, a young man, for example, and tells me he's dead, and he believes he's actually dead, I do not say, oh, you're schizophrenic, and we have to treat you to stop the symptom of the schizophrenia in which you believe you're dead. My question is, what's it like to be dead? And were you ever alive? And I once had a young man say to me in his early 20s, with his desperate family sitting by, uh, I'd rather be dead. And I said, why? He said, because being alive is to be in pain. And when you're dead, you don't feel anything. And we went back and forth for a while. Uh, the parents, still really unable to grasp what I was doing. In fact, they kept looking at me as if probably I was crazy. Why was I taking seriously the young man's statement that he was actually dead? Well, he was being literal. Many of us feel dead. Many of us, when we're objects, don't feel alive. Isn't it wonderful that we can see characters in a book or in a movie or in a play, and when we identify with them, we feel alive. But when we close off this television or put down the book, we feel dead inside. We feel unalive. Well, this young man, we finished after an hour, and I said, would you like to come back? And he said to me, no, because if I continue to talk to you, I may come alive again. I'm going to go back to the doctor that I was being treated by, and he has pills, and he's going to give me some more pills that help me stay dead. And my heart broke for this young man, but this is his choice. This is not a symptom as far as I'm concerned as, as of an illness. Uh, and he has constructed a character for himself, no doubt without a lot of help from a lot of people in his past and in his life. And this character walks around believing he is dead, trying his best not to feel anything, not to feel any of the pain that he associated with being alive. But there is no future, there is no life, and as his parents say, as they age, what will happen to this young man? And unless someone or something can help him feel alive again and feel the pain necessary to be a live character, to have an adventure, uh, he, will be, he will be lost. This is Dr. Lawrence Simon. Until next time, these are the stories we live by. Goodbye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.